0: You know, the last time I was in this building, I was in a sumo outfit running across the stage to Funk's old brother. And I was about yay big with an air pump in that sumo outfit and uh, talking to a bunch of kids was the last time I was in this building. That was 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. God help us. Now I'm trying to make that sumo outfit my own. And uh, Lord help us for sure. Well, I just want to thank you guys for having me today. Um, Yesterday we had an an awesome day just talking about ministry and leadership. And um, as I was praying for this church and um, looking back at what you guys have went through and looking back at where or looking forward to where God is taking you, um, my heart was very stirred, and I want to share a message with you today that you've probably heard a sermon on it twenty times, but it's going to be different than what you've heard, and I'm going to ask that we allow the Holy Spirit to give us fresh revelation cuz we can't live on yesterday's bread. We can't live on the crumbs from 5 years ago. We have to get the daily bread. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, man does not live on bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. And my prayer today is that you don't see Mike, or you don't hear my you hear the mouth of the father and God's spoken word to you and a revelation from scripture. And I'm praying that by some act of God we got the PowerPoint working. And notice it's going to be act of God. And um, because there's there's just some things that I believe in seeing. You know, Habakkuk said, I'll put myself on that place where I may see what God will say to me. And there's as much we need to see as it is that we need to hear. But I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to talk about one of the letters to the churches in Revelation. And as you're turning there... One of the things I've realized in the years of studying my Bible is that I can be assured of one fact, that this is not a history book of past things that have nothing to do with life today. This is the living, breathing, active Word of God and it applies in every situation, has no errors And it is used to correct my ways, to build me up, to follow the will of the Lord. And it gives guidance. And what we read from these holy passages, they should still apply to our life. That's the miracle of this book. Though it was written thousands of years ago, that's the miracle of this book. God left us this love letter as a revelation. And we can know Him and follow Him. And so, when we discuss a letter written to a city, a modern physical city, still there today, there's a lesson for us in it. And um, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven different cities and the churches in those cities. And it's what we would call modern day Turkey today. Asia Minor is what it used to be called, some might still call it that. But these letters, as Jesus revealed to the Apostle John, show Christ's heart for His church. And we are the church. The church is not a building. The church is us. And so we have to listen to these. And Lord, you know, work in us what needs to be worked and developed. And the thing that, um, that we have to remember as we read this letter is it was real people at a real time with the real-life situations just as we experience today. And so on that case, let's pick up in Revelation chapter 3, um, verse 14. I like to read the passage before I preach it, because the Word of God goes forth. And so we're going to read verses 14 through 22. And now, as I've said, you've heard this preached a million times, but my prayer today is for fresh revelation. So, Lord Jesus, we open our eyes our ears to you. We ask, Lord, that we would see what you would say to us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Father God, to understand the power of your word in this message to this church. And Lord, that it would invigorate us and empower us, Lord, to conquer darkness and to take back the kingdom of God in this world and to destroy the works of the enemies just as you did when you worked here, Father. And when you walk this earth. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 314. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, I could wish, you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you sorry to buy for me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a lot in that letter, and we've heard it a few times if you've ever been so any years in church. And as I was praying this, I believe there's a prophetic message for North or. For New Covenant, Tifton, sorry. The name of my church is Northbridge. I'm so used to saying that. But I believe there's a prophetic message for you guys here today. And we're going to go through what the passage means. And then we're going to reveal that message and see what the Lord says to us. The first thing, he writes this letter to the angel. The word angel in the New Testament, all it means is a messenger. Someone that declares the words of God. So he's writing this to the pastor of the church in this city, and to the leaders of the church, those people that are responsible for declaring the word of the Lord. Now, you've got to understand a little bit about the city. Is PowerPoint there? Negative? Okay. All right. This city under the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor named Domitian, Domitian was the first one to declare himself master and God. And so, everywhere in the Roman Empire, every city that was there, they built a gate. And that gate, everybody had to come into, and it was similar. It had Domitian on it, had all of his signs and crests and everything. And the people had to walk under that gate to get into the city to do any business, to do any life function. And so, what was the message Domitian was trying to display? You come under my authority. I'm mastering God. If you want to do anything in this life, you're doing it through me. So what's the first thing Christ says to this pastor? Look at verse 15. Or sorry, back to the second part of 14. This, these things says the amen, the truth, the one true God. The faithful and the true witness. The beginning of the creation. Jesus was making a statement to the people in this city who it was being shoved down their throat. This man is claiming to be God. Uh Uh-uh, boys. He's not God. I am. I'm the faithful, the true. I'm the beginning of God's creation. He was making an emphatic statement. No, we're drawing a line right here, boys. This is who God really is. So, what happens in our culture? The incessant bombardment of TV, of media, of other people saying that Jesus wasn't really who he says he was. What should the church be declaring? Who Jesus is. And so, the very first thing the angel said, or the spirit says to the angels, don't forget who's really God. Don't forget who's the beginning of creation and created all this. Domitian did not do this. I did. And I love it because it's kind of like God's wanting to pick a fight. I love that. Okay? So how in the world could the Christians live and work and thrive if they couldn't submit to this emperor? If you refuse to walk under and submit, how can you do business? How can you thrive? How can you live? Isn't it comforting to know the reassurance of our Savior? You can depend on me because I really am who I say I am. If you refuse to submit to this guy, I'm going to meet all your needs. I'm going to take care of you. If you refuse to believe the lie this society is trying to tell you, I'll provide for every facet of your life. Can someone raise a hand here and tell me where God failed you? In my <clears throat> 42 years that I've lived, He's yet to fail me. Now He's stretched me and He's tested me. And the Bible says He tests us. But He has never Ever failed. The faithful and a true God. You got to remember, these people had to pay a price for their belief. It wasn't comfortable in this city to worship God, it was illegal. And so, for them to do anything, they had to confidently trust what the Lord said. So let's look at verse 15. You guys with me? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. How many of you have heard a sermon on God doesn't want you to be cold, He wants you to be hot? Okay. Throw that out of your mind. Okay? I've probably, if I had a dollar for every sermon I heard on that at youth camp, I could have retired when I was 18. Okay? Just get it out of your mind and let the Lord reveal to you what this really is. Hierapolis, if you go back to the uninspired maps of your Bible, okay? These, the pages and what's written on them, but these are uninspired. Sorry, a little joke there. Okay? Some of your maps might have it, but in where Turkey is in, in Asia Minor, you have Colossus. Up here. And then you have a town called Hierapolis down here. And right in the middle was a town called Laodicea. And the trade routes went, went right through that city. And what was interesting was that people from all around the world traveled to Colossus from that trade route in the Roman Empire because Colossus had waterfalls and springs of ice-cold water that were so refreshing that people would go just to get the water. But Hierapolis, the town below, had hundreds of hot springs that were full of minerals. And people from all over the known world at that time would come and they would sit in those hot springs and they would be healed because the minerals would would heal them. So they would be refreshed at Colossus Or they would be healed at Hierapolis. And so the Lord is sitting here and when he defines the word works in the Bible, he says, I know your conduct among men in regard to my standard of what is right and what's wrong. And he says, in cold, literally means destitute of Christian faith. You're almost dead. Okay? Okay. And hot means fervor of mind and zeal. And so the Lord's saying, I wish you were, you were either completely destitute or you were completely on fire. And that's where a lot of people stop in our messages that we've heard on this. But listen in the context of this city. In regard to your witness of me and your conduct among men... I wish you were either destitute of faith so that you would not bring reproach on my name or that you were fervent in faith so that you would bring honor. And then he says something interesting here. I wish you were cold or hot. God said, I wish. Think about it. God wants us. God wishes we would choose one or the other. And then he says, because you are lukewarm, this is where we've heard it, God's going to vomit us out of our mouth. Well, do you understand in the city, they had no water that was available for them to drink. Because the cold water from Coloss would come down, the mineral warm water would mix, and it was so full of minerals and so teep it and lukewarm, anybody that put it in their mouth, it would cause them to vomit because the minerals were so strong. So God is using a situation in their city to describe our Christian behavior. Because if you, I mean, there's pictures that we have that it shows just the mineral deposit and all the aqueducts that the Romans built and everything, and it would literally just corrode everything, and the minerals were so strong that it would just cause you to vomit. And so what does the Lord say here? Let's, let's look at this. The contrast between the hot medicinal waters of Hierapolis and the cold, pure waters of Coloss. He was saying that the church was neither providing refreshment for the weary or healing for the hurting, and because the church was doing nothing, it made God want to vomit. He's not saying hot is super spiritual and cold is unspiritual. He's saying do something. Engage. Go refresh somebody. Go heal somebody. Just do something. Because if you don't do anything, With the spirit I've put in you, you're useless. And what happened with useless water that couldn't be drank made you want to vomit? What does a useless body in the kingdom of God make God want to do? So, what does it mean to be useless? Do you have a mouth? Can you speak? Yeah. Can you walk? Can you touch somebody? To be useless in the body of God, in the body of Christ, doesn't mean that you're paralyzed and incapable of work. It means that you refuse to do something because God's deposited His Holy Spirit in you who will and to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Somebody read that for me. We talked about it a lot yesterday at the leadership thing. I'd like to have you guys participate. Somebody bring a Bible. Did somebody bring a Bible? Okay. Somebody read Ephesians 2.10 for me. All right, you're pointing out and somebody throwing her under the bus. Okay. Do you want her to read it? All right, ma'am, in the back row that your daughter's pointing at you. Yeah, your daughter threw you under the bus. Would you read that verse for me? Could you stand up and read it loud? Ephesians 2, verse 10. I would encourage all of you to memorize this. We're going to make it interactive this morning, all right? we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto God's work, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay? You are God's workmanship, God's work of art. And you were created with a God-given purpose to do good works that He already planned. And so for us to refuse to do what God created us for, do you think that would make God happy? When, since when does the creation say to the Creator, I don't want to do what you have made me for? That doesn't happen. And so God is trying to bring a point here. Guys, just do something. How far had the church in this city fallen that it wasn't doing anything? It wasn't healing, it wasn't refreshing wasn't serving the weight of what they were under it paralyzed them and so the spirit wrote to this church to this letter to this city said guys you got to choose no matter what the situation the Laodiceans deeds were not useful to the Lord because the church was neither reinvigorating the believer or healing the sinners. Instead, the manner of doing things was totally ineffectual in their society. How many of you have heard somebody say, well, the church is irrelevant today? Anybody say that? You hear it in the world? Why do we need the church? It's just irrelevant. Why would they say that when we've been created and we're the church To do good works. It's because we've allowed the lies and the weight of society. You can't talk about Jesus there. You can say anything, but don't say that name of Jesus. You can't do that here. And we've believed him. I'm guilty as anybody has. But the Spirit in this saying said, Guys, there's no middle ground. You've got to choose to do something. And I pray we do. Because we've got a God that has yet to fail us. We've got a God that created us for these good works. We have a God that's all-powerful, living through us. What more do we need? Somebody turn to John chapter 7. We've heard this theme quite a few times through worship. And I always teach our body at Northbridge, what's the keynote? What's the Spirit put His finger on through worship, through the words given from the body? What's the keynote of today, the songs that we sang? Was there a recurring theme? And so Sarah, knowing my beautiful, wonderful wife sitting right here, Knowing what I was speaking on, she leaned over and she said, Do you think God's saying something today? And I was like, Here's your sign. Somebody read John 7.38. Like I said, this is interactive. I'm not looking for you to be a spectator. I want you to function with me. Who has that? John 7.38. Mike. He that on me as the scripture out of belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay. How many of you would say you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay. According to this verse, it doesn't say it might flow out of you. It doesn't say if you're good enough, it's going to flow out of you. It says if you believe, rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. Well, what did the water do at Colossus? So there's a refreshing in you that somebody needs. What did the water do at Hierapolis? There's a healing that needs to come out of you for somebody else. Just do something. Engage somebody. What happens to water that refuses to flow out? Stinks. Stagnant. Full of bacteria. And it actually causes to poison. Do we know anybody in a church that's been poisoned? Because they hadn't let things out that need to be let out. That God's putting his finger on saying, I want you to flow. And they say, no, I'm not going to flow. I just want to sit here and be comfortable. Now he's meddling. All right. Good. I'll get my sumo suit back out. All right. All right. Somebody read verse 17 for me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to throw somebody under the bus here. You got your Bible? Or you got a phone? All right, sir, would you read it? Now, was God just being mean here? You say you have need of nothing. You've become rich and you got everything. But the truth is, you're a wretch. You're blind. You're poor. You're miserable. Was God just being mean? Remember, there were situations in this city that God was referring to. So in A.D. 60... An earthquake completely destroyed the city of Laodicea. Now remember it was the center of the trade route. Everything came through Laodicea. And when that earthquake destroyed it, the Roman Empire said Domitian in his arrogance, and I believe it was actually Nero back then, in his arrogance, we're going to rebuild it. You know what the people said? I don't need your help. We got enough money. It was a thriving center of trade. They had everything they wanted. So they said, no, Rome, just keep your hands out of it. We'll rebuild by ourselves. So what happened to the church in this city? The comfort, the allure of money, the allure of prestige, the allure of business blinded them from seeing the true condition in that city. I have need of nothing, God. We've got it. We rebuilt from this earthquake. We can rebuild ourselves. What does that sound like to you? What did Satan get kicked out of heaven for? What makes God want to vomit? you see how he was appealing to the people and with the situations they went through. And so he says, sorry, completely, totally left my notes. Okay? He says, I counsel you to buy gold refined in a fire. Pure gold. How many of you like going through the fire? Can I get a hand raised? What? what? Why? It's hot. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. But do you know if you don't go through the refining process, you can't stand before God? In Malachi chapter 2, it says that God sits over us as one who refines silver. As a refiner of silver. Well, that process is if He turns up the heat too much, it scorches the silver and ruins it. So what He does is He adds a little heat. And it causes the impurities to come off. And he screeds them off. But it's still not finished. He adds a little bit more heat. Just a slow increment. And he screeds it off as those impurities come out. Some of them won't come out unless there's a higher heat. Come on, somebody. And finally, when he can look down and see a perfect reflection in the silver, it's purified. But if He heats it up too fast, He scorches it and kills it. And ruins it. Well, what is God's process on us? He intends us to be a perfect reflection of Him. So if we are unwilling to go through the fire, what are we telling God? You can't use me. I don't want you to do this. I want to be comfortable. We're refusing to allow Him To have his way and his will be done. So, what does God have to do? He's got to shake us, to wake us. And sometimes, still, we rebel. Or we say, No, God, I'm I'm not going to go through that process. The Israelites said that for 40 years. How long do you want to be in a process? It's completely up to you. It's completely up to you how long you're in that process. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, you must take up your and there's a word in there. We missed. And die. Some of us My flesh, it's ugly, and it likes to live. And every day i got to put my foot on its neck. No, you are not living. And crucify that thing. The cross is an ugly place. But we have to go through it. And so the first thing the Lord tells these people is, listen, I don't want you to stay the way you are. I want to get the impurities out. How many of you like it when God points out an infirmity or an impurity in your life? We don't like that revelation. Most men, when they look in the mirror, they see Atlas. Then I go put my pants on and I realize Atlas has fell. Okay? My mind keeps seeing Atlas, but my body is not Atlas. So what has to happen? Revelation has to come and say, Mike, you need to get back to the gym. I don't like that revelation because gyms hurt. (laughs) Guys, we're all in it together. The church, listen to this, the church is only as strong as its weakest link. Just like a chain. God banded us together, but there's someone that refuses. It affects the whole entire church. Now, God's bigger than that. He can can protect us and move and do great things. But one person has an effect. I wrestled in high school. Among a bunch of other sports. And while wrestling is a one on one match, you still get team points. And if one person loses, it affects the team. In football, if you miss a block, some people might see it, they might not see it. But wrestling, there's no question if you get pinned, everybody's going to know it. What you do has ramifications. So I want to ask you, how old are you? Right there in the middle, green shirt. Fifteen. Do you believe that what you do in this life affects this body? Do you believe it? Whether you're fifteen or fifty-five, what your actions in this life do affect the whole body. And God loves us enough, he says, Morris, you're doing good, but I want more. Let me, let, me, let me show you this. And he opens our heart. And he points out something, and none of us like it. And we react to it. I made the mistake once at a job, walking up to a woman. Was a secretary in a building I worked. And I said, so when's your baby due? I had a baby six months ago. That did not go over well. Get those words back in my mouth. And they didn't come back. You can't take back. But the revelation is there. What did I reveal to her? That I think she's fat. Okay? Now, that wasn't the way to do it. Are we there? Glory to God. You need to give that guy a raise. All right. All right. Just start going, I'll tell you when to stop. All right, engage. This is what we're talking about today. Next one. Okay, here's, you can see Hierapolis, Colossus, right in the middle, is Laodicea. You can see the trade route, the big road that goes right through Laodicea up to Philadelphia. Next slide. This is Domitian's Gate. Remember, he was the first one that said, I'm God, I'm master, you got to come under me. This was at the entrance to the city. Okay, next one. This is the springs at Hierapolis, and we just read John 7. Out of you shall flow the rivers of living water. We are supposed to refresh somebody. Next slide. The hot springs there at Hierapolis. Look, I mean, they're all over the place. Hundreds and thousands of people would come and sit in those springs just to be healed because of the minerals in them. And so that's why he was like, I wish you were the cold refreshing somebody or hot healing somebody. Just do something, Engage. Next slide. And this is you can see the, the pipe and the aqueduct there, how, how it had, the minerals had caused a huge you know, it just calcified out. Mike, you're a chemist. What's the word for that? Okay, calcified worked, OK? I know your works. you're neither hot or cold. And this is what it was is the water was ruined, they couldn't even drink it in their own city. Next slide. Okay, AD 60, an earthquake earthquake destroyed it. And they were like, we don't need your help. We got everything we need. God doesn't like self-sufficient people. God does not like, nor can he use, self-sufficient people. He's told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not about you. It's about me, God says. And if you can do it in your own strength and your own power, you don't need me. And God created us to depend on him. Next slide. Okay. We're caught up. He goes here and he makes a point. Let's read verse 18. Revelation 3.18. You guys still with me? We just played catch up really quick. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. In white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. What happens? What are we faced with when somebody reveals to us something that we did? That we need to fix? What immediately is right before us? usually blood because it cut us okay what else shame we feel stupid we are immediately faced with a decision do we go through this process and let god do it or do we run and hide and say it never happened that's what look at acts chapter 2 when peter preached the word says to those who received it they got saved, which implies that there were those who rejected it, okay? We're immediately faced with a decision. Yesterday, I told this story of last week, for those of you who weren't here, I have the incredible knack of doing stupid things as a husband. I don't know how that happens. It just happens. So yeah, so the other day, I was like, fit, we're planning. I'm from Montana originally, and I love fly fishing, and we have a world class trout stream that runs right through my hometown. And I was planning a guy's fishing trip with, with two of my buddies in Valdosta. And I was like, hey, Sarah, help me find a rental car. So she, what's your dates? So I was like, 9 9 through 9 And she looked at me and said, really? And when that happens as a husband, you know, oh, God, I forgot something, I'm about to get busted. That's that beeping light, the beep, 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 something's wrong. And I was like, yeah, it's 9 9, nine. What, what's the big deal? Audrey's birthday, my daughter Audrey, my four-year-old daughter, is that day. Did you forget? Um, we could celebrate the day before, you know, as a good husband, trying to wiggle his way out of stuff, okay? So... You know when something's off in your relationship with your spouse. So a couple days go by, I'm like, something's still not quite right. You know, so I'm like, hey, babe, what, what was the issue with the date? I mean, it's a Wednesday night. We have church. We can't celebrate her birthday on that day anyway. Well, what's the real deal? I should have known better than to ask that. If I wasn't really wanting the answer, I was just wanting to figure out a way to still work it out. Because she revealed to me the things that I had done. Well, you missed her first birthday when you're on a mission trip to Israel. She was too young. She's not going to remember it. That's not the thing you say to a wife. Okay? And then she was like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And she said, you're just not putting your family first. There it was. And I was immediately faced with a choice. Do I have pride and buck up and say, well, you're just going to have to get over it? Don't say that to your wife, guys. Or do I humble myself and say, you're right. I have been selfish. I had not put my family first. Luckily, God's got a hold of enough of me. I did the latter. And she still loves me. See the smile on her face. There we go. But guys, we're faced with a decision every time the revelation comes. This church had grown dependent on its money. It had grown dependent on its place in society. It had grown dependent on everything but God. And God says, your real nature is pitiful, wretched, poor, and blind. And you don't need me for anything. But I counsel you, I ask you, please go through this process and let me build you. Let me show you. Don't be arrogant and think you can rebuild it all yourself. When I was, I had the privilege of playing a few years of college football. Football was an idol to me. It was, a, it was almost a god to me. I could not see my identity apart from football. And my sophomore year, I was playing a game in Iowa and I broke my collarbone and shattered it, got a metal plate put in it, and everything put back together. And then I was playing my junior year, and I took another shot on it, and the nerves in my arm, my arm would just start going numb. It was pressing on the nerves and did a bunch of damage to my shoulder. And I went to the doctor, and the revelation came. Doctor. And he was like, do you want to pick up your child ten years from now, or do you want to play football? I was like, I want to play football. He was like, if you do any more damage to that shoulder, you may never use it. So you have a decision. Quit playing football and live, or play football and risk it all. And God used that process to build an identity in me. Because I didn't have one apart from football, and he took the very thing that... Was my identity, and he destroyed it. And he built me into what he wanted me to be. And this is the process he took the Laodiceans through. And guys, this is a process he's taken all of us through today. He never stops this process. Some of you might be right in the middle of that breaking, some of you might be coming out on the other end saying, Praise God, he got it. Some of you may be faced with that decision and you haven't decided, am I going to submit or am I going to go through it? I counsel you to buy gold refined. Let God have His process. We must rely upon Him for everything. I want you to repeat this after me. God will have no rivals. He will have no rival in regard to the level of dependency and importance in your life. If anything is a rival to Him, He will destroy it. God will have no rivals. Our natural strength, our ability, our resources... If we think we can depend on them to reach the lost in this city, we're going to fail. The only way we can reach the lost and engage them is if we're completely dependent upon Him, His power, His words, and life that are flowing through us. It's the grace flow out of you that enables you to minister. So look at verse 19. We're getting ready to land this plane. He says, as many as I love, I what? And Jason, I rebuke. If I love you, I'm going to rebuke you. Isn't that our job as parents? It's what the elders are commissioned to do in the New Testament... Correct, rebuke, and encourage with all authority. Why? Because you don't love somebody if you don't tell them the truth. You don't love somebody. My wife loved me enough to tell me I was being selfish. She could have just said, no, babe, it's all right. I want you to be happy. Go fishing. But what would that have done in her heart? She'd have carried around that offense until it came up at a different time. But she loved me enough to correct me. And God is the same way. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. God is not talking about salvation in that verse. Sometimes it makes me want to punch the evangelist in the throat when they use that verse. Okay? Who was the letter written to? Church. It was already God's people. It wasn't about salvation. He was saying, I want a relationship. But for some odd reason, church, you've put me on the outside of the door. Let's pause there. For some reason, church, you've put me on the outside of the door. God, you can do this and this, but you're not allowed to do this, God. God, you can show up on Sunday morning, but you've got to be good because people are going to think we're crazy if you show up. And we don't want to run anybody off, God. I once heard a pastor say, We let the Holy Spirit show up on Wednesday night, not Sunday mornings. I want to punch Him in the throat. How was Jesus Christ who bought the church with His blood on the outside of the door? And He's standing there. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. How many times does he have to do that in our life? We're so busy. We're running here and there, doing everything. Can't remember the last time I got home before 9 o'clock. Kissed my girls, put them in bed. Oh, it's time to go to bed. You haven't talked to me since 7 o'clock this morning, Mike. God wants a relationship. And He stands at the door and knocks. But what is the whole thing contingent upon? Who has to open the door? In that society, there were no locks on the outside of the door. In the New Testament times, they had doors, but you opened it from the inside. What does that tell you? Everything revolved around the home. They never left. They always had somebody there at the home because society revolved around the homes. And our society is trying to destroy the home. And he says, if you open the door, I will come in. It's not a might. It's not a maybe. Maybe. It's a, I will come in. And then what's he say? He'll do once he comes in. I will dine with him and he with me. Why didn't it just end, well, I will dine with him? It's relational. Relationship goes both ways. But if somebody comes into the house, you usually put food before him, right? So he will dine with you. Am I correct? What's that? You have to be accepted. you got to receive him in the house. you got to put food before him. And he will dine with us. But then he said we will dine with him. That means he's bringing something to the table. And he wants to feed us. He wants us to have the bread of life. He wants to to nourish us. He is our supply. Look, the Scripture doesn't say something just for the heck of saying it. He could have ended, well, I will dine with Him who opens the door. But no, He said, He's going to dine with me. I'm preparing a table before Him. It's a two-way street. We give, he gives. It's true relationship. And if we do that, what is the result? Verse 21 To him who overcomes, to the person that holds fast to their faith, even under the threat of death, as it was with Domitian, to him who holds fast when they lose everything, and trust me to be your supply. To him who holds fast and overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father. Somebody read John sixteen verse thirty three for me. John sixteen thirty three. What does it say we will have in the world? What's that mean? Tribulation. Affliction, distress, trouble, hard time. We will have a shaking. Boys, there's going to be earthquakes in this life. But he said, be of good cheer because what? Our victory is in His victory. It's not in our own victory. It's in His victory. Just as He sat at the right hand of His Father, where are we seated in the heavenlies according to Colossians chapter 3? I am right there with Him. Before I can stand and fight, i got to learn to sit. Because I've seated on His throne because I'm victorious because I'm in Him. I want you to see this it's a simple illustration but if this is you and this is Christ if you're in him does anybody see you if he's seated in the heavenlies where are you this is what he did on the cross you don't exist anymore that's why he was so adamant to this church you say you have no need they got out and they said I can do it by myself and so what did he do? He came back to the door and started knocking, saying, guys, let's get this relationship back right. I want to put you back in here. That way you're with me and you overcome as I overcame. And the reason you can engage successfully darkness is because I've overcome darkness. And so you can heal somebody or you can refresh them. But if you refuse to do anything, you've just taken the battle I've won and said you don't need it. God help us as a church to believe what He did and to stand on it. Believing is not just a mental ascension and grasp. Believing means it goes from here to the feet and we walk it out. If I believe I'm the best wrestler on the planet, but I've never wrestled anybody, is anybody going to believe me? The first thing they're going to do is put it to the test. Guys, isn't that what the world's asking us to do? You say you got the best God worth living for. Put it to the test. You say that you have the power to heal, put it to the test. How many of us are willing to risk it? And the reason I found that I refuse to risk is because I truly don't believe. That's the only reason I found. Fear is part of it, but it's get the root of it, I'm really not willing to risk that because I don't necessarily believe it'll happen. And that's where God wants to deal with us today. As I was praying for this church, I want to read a couple of things the Lord put on my heart. You guys have been through an earthquake, and it's destroyed a lot. Some of you have relationships that have been destroyed because of the earthquake that's hit. This church and the following tremors that kept shaking things. Lives, marriages, finances, etc., have been destroyed in what's happened here. No one's denying that it happened. We're not burying our head in the sand, but it cannot become an idol. What happened here, it's happened, it's done. And the Spirit of the Lord is saying it's time to engage, which means we quit looking back and we look ahead. And so now you're faced with a choice. Do you rebuild this work on your own efforts, on your own money, on your own supply, Or do you allow the Lord to rebuild it according to what He wants to do for this next season and according to His supply? Now hold that thought. Because you may say, yes, we want God to do it. What God's going to require of you in the midst of that is death. (coughs) To your way of how it's supposed to be built. To your way of how it's supposed to work out. Ezra labored and tried to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem for 13 years. And Nehemiah came down and did it in 52 days. God can rebuild this church that quick. But it's got to be in His timing and how He wants it done. And any of our mentality that holds Him at the door, says, God, we're going to do it this way, He'll just let us work until we get tired of it. There are people who come to Tifton from all around. You must engage them. You can be the refreshing water of the Spirit to him, to them, or the warm healing touch of restoration, or the salve of God that cures. Regardless of what form you take, you must choose to do something and touch someone. They're waiting for it. They're longing for it. The world is quite literally dying for the children of God to arise. To stay turned in on yourselves in your own situations will lead to a rejection from heaven. What was that church doing? They turned in on themselves and quit reaching out and it made God want to vomit. God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in order that they can flow out of you to others. He promised a river of living water will flow out of you who believe. He's graced you. He's deposited His Spirit in you. And that grace flow out of you will result in many different forms. But it will impact people with the power and the Spirit of God. But you cannot do anything for them. Only the grace coming out of you can. Because we're incapable. We're flawed. We're broken. And He has to put us back together again. And so you stand at a threshold. Am I going to engage in the power and the Spirit of God? Or am I going to stay here in the rubble trying to pick up pieces in my own strength? And as I was praying for this church and what the Lord was putting on my heart in this message, I know there are some of you here who said, Lord, I just want your will to be done. I'll do whatever you ask. But I think the Lord is wanting to make you into a team. I see people and individuals willing, but I don't see a team yet. And anybody who's ever played any sport knows that the name on the front of the jersey is much more important than the name on the back. And I think God is wanting to draw together the team of New Covenant Tifton that is going to engage this city, engage this culture, and He's going to rebuild the church. And you guys are faced with this decision. But it's an individual decision first. Am I willing to go through the process to be a part of that team? Am I willing to go through the process for God to get me ready to use me? Guys, this is not an emotional decision. This is an obedience decision. Emotion gets people in trouble. Because they don't count the cost. And Jesus said... If you're getting ready to go out to war, you better count the cost. If you're going to build a barn, you better count the cost. If the Lord's going to use you to build this church and to build this city, you better count the cost. So what I want to do, I'm not one that, I don't like to bow heads and and have an intimate moment here because it takes courage to do what God wants you to do. I tell people all the time, hell is for wimps. It takes guts to stand up and do what God asks you to do. Anybody can go the way of the world. Wide is the road and broad is the way that leads to destruction. If you desire to allow God to have His full refining process in you, and put you on this team, I want to ask you to stand up right now if you're willing to put your hands to rebuild this place. Don't answer yes if you're really not willing. Have the courage to be honest. As we pray, I want to do this. I was praying about how to close service and I didn't know if I was supposed to specifically lay hands on people. But here's what I want you to do. Every one of you have a gift. And I'm going to, where's the piano lady? Hey Haley, can you come back up and play please? Every one of you have a gift. And you stood up here because you want to give that gift for the good of God to use it to rebuild this place. What I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to come as the Spirit leads you and offer your gift up here at the altar. Because the altar is a place where what happens to the sacrifice What happens to it, Casey? Okay? It has to die on the altar. And it's an offering. You willingly offer your gifts, your talents, your time, your money, your life for God to do whatever He wants to do. And it's a gift that has to go to God first can't go to Pastor Lawrence, it can't go to the elders, it has to go to God because this is an act of obedience. And as she plays, I want you just to find an altar and offer that sacrifice and say, God, I'm willing to go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do because I don't want to be like the Laodiceans, Lord. I want you to take me and use me, God. And I want to engage and if that's you I want you to come I'm going to sit back there with my wife and pray and as the Lord leads start praying for people but you come find an altar and you give your gift to the Lord